Hello and welcome to our second quarantine special of The Requires Improvement. It's Easter Sunday. We are a podcast by young teachers aiming to critically discuss all aspects of the current UK education system, what's going well and what really requires improvement. My name is Tom and I'm joined today by Nick. Hello. Lauren. Hi. Lee. Hello there. And Charlie. Hello. And our first requires improvement for today is media reporting around school closures and when we're going to be expected back into work. So I will start by discussing this. Um, I've got a very brief timeline of events. We were officially closed, it seems a very long time ago now, on the 23rd of March. Um, A few days ago, around about the 7th, there was some BBC reporting on a Lancet report Um, And the argument with that tended to be that kids aren't really affected by coronavirus. There's no evidence to say that closing schools makes a difference with coronavirus, this new disease no one's ever really had to deal with before. So maybe we should be opening schools up again. Um, So that was based on a Lancet report report, um, and also a UCL report written by a man called... I'm just perusing the homework I did a few minutes ago. Russell Viner, who works at UCL, and some argument that maybe this report was kind of misrepresented and maybe there was an element of, frankly, wishful thinking and hopeful thinking that parents can send their kids back to school and not have to deal with them for weeks on end. So who would like to discuss this first point? Well, yeah, this whole... I mean, at the end of the day, it's just that same argument again, isn't it, of the economy? And, you know, it's it's analogous to that, you know, herd immunity thing where it was like it just people just don't want to face the truth on the matter, which is it's not a disease. You know, it is a virus. It is children, even if they're not directly going to be ill themselves or maybe have massive complications, are still vectors for that disease. They will still transmit that disease. So I do think that... Uh, this just whole wishful thinking is it's just well a it's stupid anyway and b it just adds to the more you know misinformation and propaganda around the whole coronavirus thing anyway which let's let's be frank there is more than enough of right now well i mean and also a five-year-old child has died from covid19 an 11 year old i'm only just catching up with this one this was only this was yesterday this was yesterday when the fucking prime minister was coming out of hospital and the newspaper was giving this like sickening sycophantic um stuff talking about how great and brave the prime minister is because he's tough and he survived the virus a fucking 11 year old child died because we didn't close the schools quickly enough yeah and i hate that sorry i I just hate that idea that somehow your survival of this virus has got something to do with your character or like your strength of what sort of person you're It's, it's just utter bollocks mm. so just this idea do you say like this falling in like i was mentioning earlier about the sun's headline um on friday which was like oh it really is a good friday yay boris is out of intensive care oh i'm sorry 980 people mm. have died today so what? we've got the highest death toll in europe so that's a good friday is it you know it yeah the media reporting is quite frankly enraging me as you can probably hear from the way i'm speaking about it <laughs> 
Um, I was going to say, I think any discussion of reopening the schools at this stage is simply premature. Uh, we are going to, well, we are already the worst hit country in Europe because it's been mismanaged. And so I don't know if we're even at the peak of it yet. They were estimating the peak of cases might be the 17th of April, like five days time from today. But, you know, until we can see the pattern of school reopenings in countries where it's been better managed, who may have already hit their peak, we need to be going off those examples of the real experience of countries that have managed this well, not just tossing off opinions that, oh, maybe in two or three weeks we'll just reopen the schools. It's a decision that has to be based on the evidence, and I'm very glad that our union has come out strong back in that position. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kevin Courtney tweet from... uh what day is it today? 12th? It's the 12th it's today. today. <laughs> Kevin Courtney tweet today um, saying, outlining again, um, keep in mind the families and colleagues of Wendy Jacobs, a primary school head, Emma Clark, a science teacher, Indro Sen, a maths teacher, Caroline, Carol Flynn, learning mentor, um, Kate Fox, literacy teacher. Um, I can't remember which one of those. I think it's Emma Clark. Was that the one that's the 35-year-old? 35-year-old teacher in Runcorn. Like I worked, um, before I did my PGC, I worked in a primary school in Runcorn. Um, and some of the kids I taught will probably be at that school and they've had to experience that. And we were told it's best if the country gets this. It's best if everyone gets infected. It's best if the kids swash this disease around because if you're young and you're fit and you have a strength of character, you'll be fine. Or if you die, you're going to die anyway. And there's people exactly like us who are really savagely affected by this. And any talk of schools reopening is really like it's not getting the public mood on this, which is very weird. Like teachers a bit on the WhatsApp groups we're in, teachers are getting a bit jittery because they're hearing these rumours swirl around um, about like having to possibly work through the summer, um, possibly have to go in before we're ready. Um, and, yeah, it's just, it's just really weird when, when, you know, just like otherwise healthy adults and children are, are dying from this disease. I don't, what, what, why do people think it is... It's coming up in the news continuously. Like daily, there's these new things saying, oh, here's the schools commissioner saying come back in. Here's the government saying maybe. I don't know what people think on that. Well, to go back to that report I talked about earlier, I've got a quote from Russell Viner writing in friend of the show, The Sun, um, saying teachers need to be protected, it's very kind of him, as we protect those who continue to drive buses, man shopping centres and work in our health system. And I've seen the reports about kind of the number of nurses who've died of this, significant number of bus drivers who've died of this. And I think the report recently, uh, the RMT referred to shower curtains effectively being given to bus drivers in London to supposedly protect them from this disease. So I think the first point is I think teachers seem to be very long that low low down on a list of people warranting being given uh, personal protective equipment and there's not enough of it to go around in the NHS let alone anywhere else and I think you've talked about the colleagues who have died we've also need to think about the incubation period for this virus when would a significant number of those have caught it those people who've tragically died they'd have caught it in that week when we were open and no other school in the entire continent was open. Every other country has shut their schools way earlier. So I think they are they are victims of a kind of a ridiculous policy which has proven 
to be disastrous and which isn't being challenged and a government that isn't being held to account. I'd say also it's a sort of thing you can get away with so easily uh, if the media just is not being in any way critical, like to sort of go back to what Lauren said about, um, yeah, the media just representation of everything just being ludicrous and just being a complete mouthpiece for Johnson's team. So, yeah, if they're eating up everything else that they're given, it makes sense that if they're told at any stage in line, yep, the government recommends that we, yeah, reopen the schools, they're going to just say, oh, that must be just as... What's the evidence? That must be just the best thing to do. Do you think it's people being hopeful about the end? Like, people would see... People would see the, the, the end of this whole process is when the schools go back to normal, which means that then people can get to work and that means the whole thing's over. So the newspapers are kind of dangling this carrot of normality in front of them and that doesn't happen without schools being open. So every, every, every couple of days they kind of pop this new thing up because as we know, they're fucking desperate to sell papers these days. So they- Well, yeah, and we need, to under- we need to understand that they're reflective of business interests more widely. All the newspapers are getting hammered with the loss of their advertising budgets. And, you know, th- there's going to be a huge sector of capital that is requiring the schools to reopen as soon as possible. Because every month of lockdown is going to be measured in, like, multiple percentage points of GDP loss. So, you know, there's a- th- let's not underestimate the powerful interests that want us to go back to work as soon as possible. I don't think the principle or the evidence is what's driving that. It's an urge to try and claw back the insanely huge losses that we're about to experience through the economy. What do we do about that? Or should we say that? Should we leave that to the end? What can teachers do about looking forward to the future if, if they ask us to go back in early? Or do you want to do that now? I think we can talk about this now. Um, so the next report that came out was, a, again, a misrepresentation, a kind of a wishful thinking, hopeful interpretation. A Schools Week's article which said the NAHT and ASCOL were lobbying to get schools reopened. Mm. And I read that and was quite shocked and got really angry and started moaning about the bloody bosses again. And then the NAHT did come out and say it was a misrepresentation of what was said and, again, kind of a media spin hoping to get that return to normalcy uh, so they are not pushing to open any time before September but the most recent thing which caused a bit of discussion among us and our group of colleagues were the calls is the quote from the children's commissioner whoever that is to open schools over the summer holiday um, because we're all on holiday at the moment I think seems to be the subtext of that so that's kind of the most recent development on that this kind of concession that schools aren't going to be open after Easter probably not going to be open in May, probably not going to open before September normally, so maybe they should be open over the summer holiday in some form or other. And a lot of the other discussion around that was how to kind of structure schools in a way that would make it safe. So to go back to the idea of teachers getting PPE and also discussions about enforcing two-metre social distancing in classrooms, moving through corridors. It's sort of the kind of thinking about that in my kind of shithole of a school that I work in <laughs> how that would be implemented in the building I'd like to clarify everything else about it's wonderful the building is objectively terrible it yeah it's just unfeasible unworkable and again I don't see any reality where we're going to be coming in over the summer holiday because I don't feel like I'm on a holiday at the moment. I'm not gaining any time. I don't owe them any time. Yeah. Uh, and this, you know, the idea that where 
we're still working I mean yes it is now the Easter holiday so I'm not doing any work this week however I've got stuff that I'm going to be doing for in the holidays as which isn't unusual to be working in the holidays um for when we go back and also I've got to now get used to completely new technology and a new way of doing things and I you know it takes me a little bit longer than most people to get my head around these kind of stuff this this sort of stuff so this idea that it's not stressful this idea that we're just sitting back doing jack is just really insulting as well i hate that level of the, the insinuation there um and also what about pay you know technically if they're saying well you're going in in the summer all right then so where's that money going to come from because <laughs> <laughs> like what we expect you know it is the was the expectation there that recommendation that teachers will be going in for free does anyone know better about their contracts than i do on this summer working point all I know is that my um, Matt's multi-academy trust were paying and are paying people to go in who are going in in the holidays at their normal daily rate. So in terms of being paid, people that in, in my particular Matt are being paid extra if they're going in the holidays, which implies, I'm not saying it's certain, but that would imply that the same thing would also occur for, for you know, for going in summer. I mean, I could kind of understand it for like limited things. So let's say if if we're not out of full lockdown by the end of the July term, I could see why you might want to have like year sevens in and do transition work. Um, but I still think that's that's just a that's a better argument for like okay, we will open schools before the summer, but we'll do like two weeks, the last two weeks of term, get everyone in, try and maybe do some nice stuff. Mm. Um, do some like team building stuff have sports days and mm. um, kind of work through a bit of the trauma i think allow mm. kids to the year 11s that missed all the the rights the year sixes that missed all the rights of passage kind of recreate those in some meaningful way bring the communities sort of back together um yeah and like fundamentally these kids are going to be deinstitutionalized. they're going to struggle to get up in the morning they're going to struggle to remember yeah. how to behave in school these these norms need to be re-established and these you know sensitively as well I, I don't think schools are going to be the same place that they were for 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 a foreseeable you know i just think about the practicalities as well which you know talking about exclusion zones and everything but i know it was a struggle like hand washing facilities i work at a big secondary school and there are not if there's one sink per you know 60 students I would be surprised like it's in terms of actual just physical places to wash your hands it's just not fit for purpose in that regard I would love to interview one of these um, fucking idiots who mentions like a two metre rule in school I would love to get this person to do the like talk them through the thought experiment of what that would look like so it's like what so all the kids are going to sit two metres away from each other so okay already you you can only have 15 kids in a class then because there's no room Mm, and then you're going to have to stagger all the lessons and then you're going to have to teach the kids what two meters looks like uh or what a meter is or how to count which is just difficult anyway um have they ever seen a corridor a school corridor It's, it's insane it's actually insane um I think I think the argument the argument that I did see was sorry the argument I did see was that they would just be kind of in one classroom so you'd minimise that kind of moving around the corridor it would be staggered times I think there was even one called just no break time so it sounds like pretty oppressive places you'd be sat in one room all day two metres apart from everyone else but I mean oh and the teachers move 
but again that's um yeah so the teachers are the ones spreading the virus around but i don't know in terms of class sizes it would be fantastic it's what we've been arguing for for years but um but also yeah. you, you sit in a room with 30 kids and every single one of them in that hour breaks wind at least once okay uh classrooms stink kids stink like if you if you change that fart gas for like coronavirus uh dangerous it's just not going to be safe it's not going to be safe uh go on charlie you were going to say so- it's not they uh, that's the closest thing i can that was a really weird analogy not? um <laughs> one kid with the virus in there is going to spread it to everyone in that room mm. it doesn't matter how far apart they sit yeah yeah i think it's like um you're never going to get them to stay in the classroom the whole time uh even if you have children staying in for break time or whatever and eating their lunch in there as well yeah one they're going to be miserable any behavioral issues what are you going to do like all right so if a kid is properly kicking off like and we've already seen the ridiculous things the police do um i'm not saying um yeah that all the positive handling that you have in schools is necessarily correct but say a kid is just completely off the wall because it's getting to them so much all the well getting to them school school's difficult anyway for them but yeah under these circumstances if it's really riling them and they're suddenly (laughs) i can just see children just be like oh i'm going close to this person or i'm going close to that person and you're like right we've had enough of this what are you gonna tackle them to the ground like you know yeah and also the fact is, like, there will be kids, like we say this, but there will be the odd one or two or, you know, however many we think there might be, who are going to use it as an excuse not to go. are going to go, oh, <clears throat> sorry, I've got a cough, sorry. Then we've got to deal with the procedures again like we were doing before where we've got to isolate that student. And so the idea that if this happens, we still need all those systems in place that we were kind of makeshift putting in place before the lockdown, which is how do we deal with students with symptoms how do we deal you know we need the idea that we can just go back to school now or even anytime soon and just things be normal is just fucking ludicrous like literally i mean i i teach Mm. about viruses to students and my gcse level kids could tell you that this fucking ludicrous do you know what i mean like it's (laughs) and i think that's the big thing we need to kind of embrace there is no return to normal normal is gone i think lee made that fantastic point it's back we are going to get the kids back and it's just going to be absolutely fucking wild the amount of trauma as many of those kids would have suffered the kind of the neglect that they're going to be to- behavior is going to be a completely different thing and it's going to take years to work through so to just go back to normal and impose on them and on us the profession that kind of rigid exams focused regime it's just it's just not going to work like even with the best will in the world and the most wishful thinking in the world it's not going back to that so i imagine we'll talk about this a bit later on with what we do next and what we've been doing as trade unionists and teachers but it's not even it's just not going to happen and i think we need to kind of wake up and accept that and work out how we're going to move forward from there we're not at the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. Is it the end of the beginning, though? <laughs> I'm trying to sound prime ministerial. Fucking hell, come on. Well, considering Wuhan went under lockdown, I think it was the 23rd of January, um, and only now is anything reproaching 
normality in inverted commas i'm doing air quotes um you know and that's that was that, that was three months i mean yeah as Theo says we are at the very beginning of this like we have to and that's kind of what i've been really struggling to get my head around this week is actually really accepting and really understanding and accepting that this is not going away anytime soon like i am going to be doing this for at least the next two months yeah and also um countries that are coming out of lockdown have processes in place that we simply don't uh they have yeah. they have testing they have contact and trace they have ways of managing this disease that we've simply <laughs> chosen not to do in this country <laughs> bravo troubles all round well done government okay so shall we move on now to our second requires improvement where we're going to get a little bit political so who'd like to take it from here? Uh, yeah, I got this one. Um, so the requires improvement is the National Education Service. And that's not because it's a bad policy. It's not because we don't agree with it. Um, it's because it needs fleshing out. And um, it was fleshed out a little bit more in the 2019 manifesto. Um, but like a lot of things in that manifesto, it didn't kind of cohere and there were lots of good ideas, but it didn't have like a clear, you know, one sentence explanation going through it. Like the Green New Deal had lots of stuff to it, but you could quite clearly explain what that's about. It's make you know, it's it's um, transforming the economy to serve the interests of climate um, justice and climate activism rather than something else. It's, it's simple. National Education Service, like. Uh, doesn't really make that much sense and um, so although it is easy to get quite down about um Keir Starmer being the new Labour leader it's quite easy to be down you know you, you have all of us doing the same thing we're all checking social media like all day and it's really depressing because someone's got something miserable there that kind of sticks with you if you're in that kind of mindscape you know you've got our comrades in America who are completely disheartened now because they're kind of going into an election with Joe Biden um, I watched Weekend at Bernie's for the first time yesterday um, just to try and understand what that would be like dragging around a fucking corpse uh, to, try, to try get your end away but um, yeah um, you know all, all there's people kind of uh, who we've done organising with recently who are like talking about leaving the Labour Party so it's really easy to get downbeat about these kind of things um, but for us the cabinet reshuffle is not the worst thing in the world. We've got Rebecca Long-Bailey, who, you know, Corbynite loyalist, could have been the party leader, has a forensic... Well, the, the idea of forensic eye for detail, that's like a Keir Starmer thing, really, isn't it? But, like, she is very, very hot on detail. And um, she's good at making good policies, I think. So I think having someone to go in and do the National Education Service like her, that that is that's just good that's just a good thing for us and it means that we've got more chance to get in there with our union and get in there and try and try and shape that and make it into what, what we want so no matter how shit everything else is and how much of a catastrophe all the other labor policies are over the next five years we've got an opportunity here to kind of you know we've got the ear of the policymakers in that regard um in the junior team as well um there's a couple of other people who are like actual radical left people so you've got um margaret greenwood who is the Wirral mp and she got rid of esther mcveigh um she um was in she was a teacher for a few years um and she's been working in the dwp uh, sorry as the shadow for department of work and pensions so i mean 
someone understand the, the deep poverty that kids have to face, you know, and how fucked schools are because of that poverty. Um, we've also got like Emma Hardy, who's going to do the f- um, further education in universities brief. She was an NUT organizer for years. Um, and I've seen her speak and she's, she's pretty good. Um, she was also the deputy secretary or president for the SEA, Socialist Education Association. Um, so it's like the one Labour educational affiliate. So she's got you know, two there with really good credentials. Um, Tulip Sadiq, who I can't really work her out. I've seen people call her a Blairite before, but um, yeah, I don't know. This other guy worries me a little bit, though. Toby Perkins, who's got the um, Lifelong Learning and Apprenticeships um, brief. He His credentials are that he's worked in a business, like a recruiting business. Um, but like, he's also like... Uh, let me let me say a few things to see how he reacts. He's part of Labour Friends of Israel. He supported David Miliband to be the leader. He supported Keir Starmer to be the leader. He resigned in the coup. And um, he also supports Saudi intervention in the war in Yemen. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> so this guy is quite shit. But, I mean, he's given the apprenticeship role, whatever. He's run businesses and recruit... Oh, fucking whatever. I don't know how much effect he can have. But, I mean... The balance of power there is definitely with our side. So, um, you know, we've got to be pushing that. We've, we've got to take what we can get and we've got to go for it. So, Well, the good news is I think Rebecca Long-Bailey's going to listen. She, you know, she's, she's yeah. got good links with uh, the unions who represent this sector. So, I, I, yeah, I completely agree with your analysis. There's bad news everywhere you look, but the actual shadow education section of the Labour Party looks like to be stronger than ever. An, an improvement over what, what we had before. I want to think about as well, like, so when we talk about the National Education Service, like, what are the biggest things really that, well, I suppose the unanswered questions for me, because I went at the union and, and myself and a couple, I think, yeah, a couple of you here, we went to the talk, didn't we, on the National Education Service? Um, and I, I, do, I think I left feeling like I had more questions, um, to be honest, than when I started. And when I walked into that room and my biggest number one absolute question, which I think all of us are going to have on this whole national education service is what the fuck's going to happen with academies? Can it be done legally? Can it, can we stop academies? Can we get all schools back under national control or, you know, local authority? Like that for me is the number one absolute like thing that I want to know. I want to know is, can it be done? What's the feasibility of it and what needs to occur to make it happen? Didn't have got any ideas. Well, at our, at our last conference, there was a talk with um, a Labour MP, and the vibe that we got from him was definitely that anything around academisation was going to be like a second term issue. And frankly, at this point, I'd just murder for a fucking first term. So I think there was a lot more pushing to be done on on education uh, in the Labour Party and as an as the NU non-affiliated to the Labour Party without as well. But I think. Leo makes excellent point. I think we do have the ear of the shadow education secretary. And I think at the moment, we've basically, as as unions, we've been kind of writing DFE policy. We've been doing, we've been on the front foot with coronavirus. We need to keep that pressure up. We've presented ourselves as a very professional organisation, as a very clued up organisation, one that genuinely does follow the science and isn't interested in spin and all that other nonsense. I think we've got to keep keep in that vein and keep pushing and keep plugging away. Uh, yeah, as for academisation and what's going to be done around that, that's something I'm really interested to see 
if anything is made about that, because the impression I got under Corbyn was that it was quite low down on the list of priorities. Well, that's because Rayner was sort of blocking it. It took Rayner a lot of um, a lot of persuasion and grassroots pressure to finally get that academies were, were were a big problem and you can't really have a good system with, with them in there. Um, so the, the policy did shift in the end. I think in 2019, the manifesto did say that they were bad and we were going to eventually get rid of them. But that took her loads and loads and loads. You know, we wasted a lot of time and effort trying to persuade her that these things were shit. Um, whereas actually now, the fact that we've got an education secretary who's kind of more amenable to these things um, should should be able to help us push the push the things along. I mean, if you she's you know she sent a four page letter like already she was appointed on whenever it was one day and then like two or three days later um, she sent this four page letter of questions really really detailed important questions about schools and coronavirus to um, Gavin Williamson. Um, and it was just like, I couldn't follow half of those things. So, I mean, the fact that she's already gone in there and already has that, either there's people in there working, giving her the information, but it was like, whoa, this is, yeah, she's not going to get messed around, I don't think. So, um, yeah, uh, some reason to be cheerful, really. Charlie's going to come in and smash this to pieces now. Go on. Oh, I just like laugh at the fact that you um, basically referenced Ed Miliband there. <laughs> That's another reason to be cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> He's um, back, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I think I think it is good to have um, Rebecca Long Bailey. Uh, I sort of wonder, yeah, it's the fact that she and um, Angela live together, possibly, I don't know, she's given all her sort of homework and they're just passing it along which yeah could be a good thing could be a bad thing uh we'll just sort of see how it plays out but i'm feeling positive about it but maybe that's just because i'm yeah trying to be optimistic in a in a week that has been filled with lots of lots of drawbacks politically across the world can we just take a moment now to kind of share some personal reflections on jeremy corbyn that's something i'd quite like to do if we're all amenable to this yes sir Mm. Why don't you start us off, Dom? I mean, okay, I will start us off. Well, um, again, to go kind of totally off-piste, again, sat indoors a fair amount of time to just kind of think and reflect on what has been a real (laughs) shit decade starting 2010 um, and now being bookended with this absolute nightmare and shit show. Um, and in between that, I think I mean, I trained to be a teacher in 2011, so I became a teacher 2012. So within kind of think about 2010, starting with the coalition government, massive protests, riots in 2011 and ending with coronavirus in 2020, I've tried to forge something resembling a career in education and I'll be upfront and say it's mostly been <laughs> bad and stressful <laughs> and annoying and I've been emotionally at times physically and definitely financially punished for the temerity of kind of wanting to work and teach poor people and the children of poor people um, so yeah um, when it dawned on me that Jeremy Corbyn was not um, was obviously uh, being replaced obviously that uh, been on the wall for a while I did feel quite emotional because I feel when he did become the Labour leader it did have quite a big profound impact on me I think as a teacher as a trade unionist I mean I rejoined the Labour Party to vote for him 
and I always remember there was always this talk about him as being oh he's not not good at speeches he's not presentable he's not media savvy he's not sharp rapier like at the dispatch box or whatever but I remember when he did come to the NUT conference in 2016 and he spoke and we talked about Ed Miliband there and we know what he was like um, when we were taking all that industrial action um, under the coalition government he was always there be like these are the wrong strikes at the wrong time and all this other rubbish like always playing to some kind of perceived imaginary big other who was going to judge him for being too left wing and when Corbyn came to the conference I remember how excited all, all the NUT members there were and he spoke and he said, my mum was a teacher, I'm a trade unionist, I'm going to be a trade unionist till the day that I die, and when I run this country, I'm going to listen to you and do what you tell me to do. And that was basically just the speech, but it's like, I'd never heard anything like that before, and probably won't hear anything like that again for quite a long time, but it was... That was huge and it was massive and the reception he got there and the reception he got at the last conference he came to last year was incredible and I think I would just like to pay kind of testament to him. I think he has raised the confidence of a lot of people because as I say at the start of this decade 2010 I thought my feelings, my beliefs were just kind of totally invalid and totally out there. But he's kind of he has normalised this kind of these these ideas. He's normalised socialism as a valid political idea. And another thing I remember about that conference in 2016 is that afterwards he went and um, found out an NUT member because he knew his brother and his brother had recently died because he's someone who remembers people and respects people. He remembered my grandfather from 30, nearly 40 years ago, and I think that's just a testament to him as an individual and I think he's had a positive impact in this country I wanted to say that I wanted that on record I know I've honestly I've actually got I'm genuinely having a bit of a tear in my eye I'm not even joking (laughs) but no I I completely agree with yeah pretty much everything you said and I can't say any better but I remember exactly where I was when I was in Phnom Penh in Cambodia I was traveling the day that I found out the results of that 2010 election, I can literally picture exactly where I sat. And I remember just turning to the, my partner at the time, just going, fuck it, I ain't going back. <laughs> like, this is going to be shit. I just, just, it all just felt then. And like, I just, I'd left uni a year before. So, you know, same as you, you're like, right, I'm entering the world of work. I'm going to be a proper adult. Like, graduated in 2009. Right, here we go. And then that was you know obviously a massive blow and as you said like forging a career in teaching which if I'm brutally honest I can't see myself staying in much longer under the current way things are done um it is it is a struggle um but having you know and actually with politics to be honest I kind of completely almost just went oh fuck it like obviously I'm completely like nobody thinks like me I, it must be me I'm the weirdo like what do you mean so like surely you know you're looking around at the whole country going what sorry am I missing something here like what is going on and then yeah with Corbyn and then the you know being elected le- leader of the Labour Party I saw him at Glastonbury that was pretty amazing as well definitely made sure I was there I think it was one of the biggest crowds of the weekend and again it was that inspiration I was like oh wow like there are enough people there are a people in politics that feel the way I feel about stuff and how the society should be run um and and just the mobilization of for me certainly people in my age group and younger like the fact that people were actually getting engaged in politics that probably hadn't 
been much before or hadn't felt like there was anything option for them and that's kind of what he gave us and that's certainly what he gave me anyway personally just hope hope that there are people that do feel the way that we feel and it's not just some weird little like extreme view which is kind of how it's always been portrayed like as though socialism is somehow like an extreme view and yeah and I, I yeah I just want to express my gratitude for that what an absolute legend he will be dearly missed but the fight goes on and whether that fight is less within the Labour Party is a, an open question for the coming months and years but we're going to carry on doing what we're doing which is build the union and try and you know express that class power in society yeah I, th- I mean thank fuck for union activism basically I mean if, if you put all your eggs in the Labour Party basket over the last five years and then come out of this with Keir Starmer and it's just like back to this kind of managerial um, tit for tat opposition parlour game bollocks um, I could see why you'd be pretty pissed off and would want to leave but that's why trade union stuff is so important psychologically because you do get significantly more wins like you do feel good about <laughs> union stuff more often than you feel yeah. good about Labour Party stuff it just does happen mm. like that but I don't know I mean my, my kind of like uh, Corbyn kind of crossover I suppose is um, um, being at my first NEU conference in Cardiff um, when we heard that there was going to be a snap general election and I, when when they said that, it was like an hour before the end of conference. We, we were talking, we we're talking through conference. We we're talking about like we're going to do this, we're going to do this. This is how things are going to change in three years. We're going to build this power. Fuck election. Fuck, 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 fuck. It's going to be an eighty seat majority. We're going to get completely stomped. But you know, we we left we, uh, we left the conference and um, just got on with it. Got in, got into canvassing, got into the organising with union stuff. We just we just got on it, and it was a bit of a baptism of fire for kind of um, a lot of people that that campaign. But I remember thinking we were going to get pummeled, absolutely pummeled, and then heard the exit poll, and then fucking hell, going into school the next day, I felt like I was ten feet tall because I was really <laughs> worried about my tutor group rinsing me. Uh, and I just really worried about like members of staff, like, all that kind of stuff. All that came with the 2019 election. 2019 election, mm. my fucking tutor group voted Tory in the school election yeah, just to piss me off. Um, there, was a lot of, you know, all, there was a lot of people waiting for years for their I told you so's. Yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. But 2017, and still no one has done analysis on it, but we proved you could get 40% of the vote with a radical, uh, with a radical manifesto, and that showed me what we could do, what the left could do. Because always, I've been in the Labour Party since 2010 um, to vote for a Miliband. At that time, I thought that kind of soft left was the best we could do. I thought that was the, the, the most that people would vote for. I thought that was the most policies that would ever go in and actually work. Um, but Corbyn showed us that, that radicalness is popular and is achievable and it is doable and it is popular. And no one's ever going to take that away from me. No one's ever going to take that away. That, that, that feeling that feeling of 2017 and yes there's lots of things that make it an outlier but I'm not going back mentally to the kind of like compromisey shitty bullshit politics and already now seeing star you know and people that voted for Starmer I, I just hope they're going to see that they're going to see how weak and shit he is and they will come back to that radical fold because fucking hell we need it we're running out of time but I'm, that, that, that's my hope that's that's that they will see how weak and insufficient that is and we have to as trade unionists and um an activist doing other stuff and left-wing Labour organisers, we need to show them that there's an alternative and it can be done much, much better. 
I can remember that conference too, Lee. I was sat next to Lee. I can probably still picture the the look on Lee's face, that kind of look of dread and horror. I got the fear, man. We were we, we were in back country. Yeah. But I mean, we yeah, I know I've been thinking a lot about that, about times that I've won and like I've won a few things here and there as a rep. I've lost a lot of things as a rep in as in the workplace. But yeah, winning for me has felt like 2015 Corbyn gets in 2016 we keep Corbyn in 2017 it wasn't the shit show that was promised but I think why Corbyn means so much to me is that it wasn't a shit show that was promised because from the announcement of that election to the actual election day we had to because we had no other choice no one else was going to do it we got out there we got organised we did our things we knocked on doors we canvassed we flyered we did stuff in the union we did stuff in the party and we did our best and I can always remember uh, going to work in northwest bristol which was a tory seat in 2017 and we took it off them in 2017 and being able to drive across bristol through entirely red constituencies playing the red flag out of my car with the window down it's like they are moments and you know they can't yeah as you said leo they can't fucking take them away from us and i think now is the time where we do build yeah, on that. Yeah, we have to. And especially now, like, with all this, you know, talking about the current situation, is I'm really hoping as well is that one of the things that might... One of the few positives that might come out of this is people actually realising that socialism is a good way to run a society and that actually, if we look at what's going on... Um, you know, we look at, you know, for example, like it, things like, you know, public health, that's massively come under the lens now. Um, people actually reading about the number of intensive care beds there are in the UK compared to there are in Italy or Germany or, you know, other countries of the similar, you know, wealth to us. Um, also, you know, things like exams, the fact that, you know, well, how are we giving awarding these students these grades? Well, teacher assessment you know we've, we're not doing league tables this year you know all of these kind of things that hopefully when we come out of it will kind of people will hopefully remember that just remember that actually the things that the positive stuff that, that came out of this was people actually being good to each other and looking out for each other and actually trying to be a bit more of like a communicable society and realizing that individualism and the politics of individualism does not work it does not work like you can't protect yourself from a virus for example if you're rich you can have a better time of it don't get me wrong you'll be much more likely to you know to get through it and you know you can isolate in your nice big house and you know be a celebrity and fucking cry about it on social media or whatever but the point is is that i'm hoping that because of the fact that we have a society as a world even have had to come together and go right shit we need to look after each other that that mentality will will continue and that that's something that we can sort of build on as well and fuck Richard Branson. Sorry, he's. I'm really angry at him today. Such a fucking prick. Where are you at with this stuff, Charlie? Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to really reflect too much on what Corbyn meant to me because I feel like I'm just kind of holding on to him right now. Uh, he still um, tweets a lot, and that's basically the only way we receive any information from any politicians anyway, so it still feels like he's there. Um, and I, th I think that, yeah, his his influence is going to continue. Obviously, we've got a new leader. Uh, All hail. But in a way, in a way, it was like drawn out for a long time. But in a way, we'd already kind of 
conceded to get a Kia Starmer or other similar um, from the moment, you know, the results of the election came out. I want to be optimistic about, yeah, everything that we've gained. And I do see that and I do feel that. Um, but equally, I don't think any kind of lessons that um, this crisis currently has taught us broadly, yeah, are really sinking in. I think, yes, some people are reading some articles and discovering a few things, but where are we seeing that? Is that in our news feeds? Is that on, like, you know, on broadly more on Twitter? Is that something we're seeing on the news? Like... There's still, I think, an aspect of a bubble. Some people are waking up. Is it mm. enough? Not left on its own. I think it needs, yeah, go back to what the people said. It needs the unions. And the unions just don't do it themselves. That means us. That means we have to do things. I think we are, and I guess we'll talk about that soon. But equally, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm still awaiting judgment. Mm. I think your point, Charlie, kind of links to the idea that we didn't have the social base we needed to win as 2019 proved. So I think it links nicely to the next point we're going to be discussing, which is what we've been doing at the moment as a union, because I think the path to power, to victory, is through the workplace and through workplace organising. So let's have a discussion now about what we've been trying to do remotely over Zoom, over WhatsApp as trade unionists. Charlie, do you want to talk about the Jay McAlevey thing? Here my best go. Um, so Jane McLevy and was it the Rosa Lux um, yeah. sort of yeah foundation. organization yeah. foundation set up in Germany I think um, that have organised for an online course um, that several of us have been tuning into um, and it's basically laying out the tools for organising within your workplace I found it really useful uh, I think everyone really has uh, Jane's really incredible the way that she sets things out really simple clear responses to people clear ways of um, approaching your your workplace I think uh, something I found really useful um, that she said was basically putting clearly the fact that you've got self-selecting groups and you've got, was it organic groups that they were called? Basically like... Uh, Structure-based and structure based yeah so it'd be like your your workplace is not necessarily somewhere people don't like there might be different demographics in different workplaces um but they don't choose based on a common interest it's choosing based on what the job is and there could be different types of jobs within that um that workplace so yeah i've i found it really good what have other people thought well yeah it just kind of um i mean the requires improvement that would link into this is British trade union strategy requires improvement so like her criticism of the kind of old school style of doing things is um, unions are not actually building a movement at the moment they're managing their own decline Um, we've got fewer days of strike action um, year on year fewer declining membership year on year we still have a lot of power and a lot of sway but if we don't change the way we do things we're going to keep fading into irrelevance and she comes from this like 
Um, I don't, I don't know if we right to call it militant, but she comes from a very specific strain of union organising in America, um, where they have uh, set principles, and it's very much that the workers are the union like don't look to anyone else don't look don't expect the high command of the union to do stuff for you it is literally the people in this workplace working together um and uh yeah she did a really interesting exercise on um like semantics and the words you have to you should use in union meetings when you're trying to have conversations with people um even to the point where she said don't say thank you if you have loads of people in a union meeting don't say thank you what should you say instead well done <laughs> cheers well for, being done here. for being here yeah. uh, well it wasn't even that was it she was saying like um, it's great to see loads of people here we're going to get loads done it was like because if you say thank you it's like oh they've done you a favour you're their advocate the members turn up you talk to them for a bit and they're like alright cheers cheers drive fucking sound for doing the union stuff for us and then they go away and expect you to do everything in the meantime but she's saying like every single word that you use because people don't read their union emails you know people have very little contact with the union if you're the organiser you're the point of contact everything you say has got to be building that shared consciousness and making them get where their power comes from which is working together so we've been trying in a few little bits we've been doing like um, we're going to try and do some phone banking and um, try and writing a few emails just to send out to members. Uh, but I've been trying it on the WhatsApp groups. When people are asking, oh, are we going to have to go back to school uh, when it's unsafe? I've just been saying, well, we decide. As us as workers, we decide. And I'm not going to go when it's safe. Are you going to go when it's, when, it, when, it, when it's unsafe? So it's just trying to kind of flip the conversations around to turn it into um, a thing. And it's her style of organising that led to the red state teacher strikes in America. Like that's, how, that's how they did that. They had massive 100% out strikes in uh, states which were striking as illegal. And they got uh, 5% pay rises for all the public sector people in the state not just teachers you know it's, it, it it succeeds and her thing is like there's other types of organizing but which are important like identifying activists and stuff but her thing's like we don't have time this is clearly the most effective way and that's what we should ch be chucking everything into so we need to be working out how we can use her stuff and try and run some events in bristol for reps i think but also we need to be lobbying our maybe that'd be like a good motion for conference is add a kind of McAlevey style thing um, into the reps training I don't know I feel something really positive that the McAlevey course was being advertised through the national union so I think that's a really good direction that we are going in because I think yeah we talk about kind of union strength and what the union is and I think we are fantastic as having a lot of membership density in the profession but let's be blunt that's insurance policy trade unionism we get a higher sign up of teachers because people think oh god i want a cheap lawyer if some kid makes an accusation against me that's how we get a lot of people to sign up so yeah i think the most powerful thing i've taken away from jane mcaleve is putting everything back on the membership we're not an insurance policy we're not just there to turn up and get you out of trouble when things go wrong the union is precisely whatever you in your workplace make of it and i think that's the thing i've taken away from that course yeah, and uh, my input was just to point out that this week, uh, the sick form sector, thanks to the strong strike action, received a pay settlement of, you know, 6% over two years. Woo! Industrial action, 
when built on solid foundations it gets results so we we just that's that's where it needs to be heading i think i think the bosses need to be confronted and workforces need to stand up for themselves and the union is the only way they're going to be able to do that in a coherent way yeah and i think in terms of the moment we're at right now i think having been to kind of uh NEU and before the NUT conferences, there's a definite almost kind of millenarian strain in the left in the unions. And it's always whatever the latest big thing, whether it's the whatever Gove and Cummins dreamt up that year, is this is the thing. This is the thing where either we win on this or everything's going to go to hell and everything will be destroyed. And it never really is that case. It's like we know with kind of funding cuts the misery of kind of austerity and funding cuts is that things do carry on. You've made a load of expensive, experienced teachers redundant. The school survives. It's a massively diminished place. It's worse off for it, but it does carry on. There's no kind of great final defeat. Um, but I think with this moment, it's like this might not be the absolute be all and end all crisis, but it's the closest we've ever got to it. So this is the moment where we have to recognise that things could go really, really, really terribly or we could win massive, substantial and sustained gains and sustained gains rather. So, yeah, this really is its the biggest moment I can ever think of or let's push things forward, let's adopt models of organising that's going to get a massively engaged membership to kind of do things and take action and make their workplaces better. So uh, maybe we should talk about now... What have we been doing? Like how can you organise under quarantine? What have we been doing and what are we planning on planning on doing? I think one thing that I've found massively helpful, um, it's just, just been stuff like this, like Zoom calls, people doing social things as well. So like just staying in touch. Number one is keeping those lines of communication open between people in a time where that's really hard. Um, and I've definitely found it a lifeline. Um, just, you know, so yeah, I think number one is do things that are union focused and you know educational but also do things that just get people together and and, and get people kind of in the same well on the same screen as i should say now i mean yeah the other thing we've been doing as a committee is we've been having again zoom everything is a fucking zoom call man it's the (laughs) matrix but it's zoom now um we've been having like uh, weekly meetings as a committee which is weird because quite often with the committee it's quite difficult to get everyone in the same room everyone's got so many different commitments and things like that uh, we struggle to make chorus uh, sometimes um, we've been having these like weekly zoom calls just because everything's been changing so fast and we've had um, like yeah ev- everyone's into it we get, we're getting a lot of stuff done we're getting through the things um, we've got good turnout got got lots of people there and we're just getting things done um and then we had a young teachers event as well where again we had new faces didn't we i can't can't remember how many like four was like three or four but again we basically yeah we kind of did we sort of and we sort of did it like this we had a few things to talk about and everyone chipped in and everyone spoke and for some people it's their first union event um but we talked about big things and out of that meeting did we get one rep and one committee member was it that was it that successful? Yeah, it's literally someone who's who's kind of um, they've they've popped around on the edges of union stuff um, before, um, and then someone just said said to them, uh, "We well, should be a rep," and they were like, "Oh, uh, okay, maybe." And that's that's all it takes. <laughs> that's all it takes sometimes, just just to be asked. Um, so yeah, like keeping up the you know maintaining kind of bit of momentum with these with these events, but doing you know, doing the same thing, recruiting reps, doing the important work that needs to be done on the committees getting people onto the committees, doing the political education, 
um, and trying to kind of strategize, I suppose. Someone want to talk about phone banking as well, because that came out that came out of the meeting. That was we were talking, weren't we? And then it kind of it sort of occurred. The idea evolved as we were discussing it, and it was like, oh yeah, why don't we just do some phone banking? And I think because at this moment, to go back to Lauren's point, it's like quarantine is shit. It's horrible. It's miserable. Like people are crying out for solidarity, which kind of makes it easy for us. Like it doesn't take much to kind of get people on the phone or get people in a Zoom call or just to be able to directly engage people where say, well, do you have rep in your school? And they say, no, it's like, well, do you want to be the rep or do you want to join the committee? We have this, this space open. We have no support staff officer. Be the support staff officer. Get involved. It's your union. I think that is having a lot of kind of cut through at the moment. And I think, yeah, I think we are not to kind of big ourselves up in any way but I think we are doing we are trying to move things in the right direction just by getting people involved Uh, I think we should talk about the phone banking thing does someone want to I mean I feel like I've talked a lot okay so um our idea with the phone banking is to give people almost like a check-in um, people are going to be feeling isolated at home because they are. And so, you know, uh, just to speak an example from my own life, I, I joined the community union ACORN. I received a really nice sort of welfare call from them asking how I was doing in the quarantine. Do I need any help during this crisis? And, you know, I'm very fortunate. I was able to tell them, no, I'm doing just fine, thanks. But we're almost doing exactly that with the union. You know, how are people, how are things at people's schools? Have you, you know, what's, what, what sort of conditions you're working under if you're working from home and you know is there an issue in your school that you think the union can help with would you like a meeting in your school do you have a rep that holds regular meetings we're having you know a script made to ensure that we can make these contacts people will feel valued people even if they haven't got any urgent issues for the union they're reminded that we exist they're reminded of what's available to them if they want to put put in a little bit of time you know that, that, that that's our plan we're going to go for members we're going to try and target the schools where we don't have a rep or where our member density might be low or declining we're going to think about it in a kind of strategic way we're looking at a map of our county where are the schools where do we have reps but where do we don't where do we need to build so we're coming at it from quite a sort of diagnostic perspective but it's also just about building those human connections making sure members feel valued they're asked their opinion they're asked if they need anything and and that that's going to be our first real solid piece of work to try and build you know member and rep density in, in our respective counties yeah we want covid contacts or covid reps we i don't think we've still we've decided on the name no but we did agree that the name isn't that important it has a nice alliterative quality i think covid contact but but it's also not being a rep a rep is a different role i think because it's elected but a contact is different and once they've been the contact you can be like oh you might as well just be the rep then but I don't well whatever that's an argument for a fucking very long tedious whatsapp uh, group I'm sure well I've got the time yeah I just was going to say just a bit of a shout out to of you know uh, in talking about solidarity and I know we are an education podcast but I do think also it is important that we do just give a big shout out to those people that are currently on the front line of it as well um in within and outside of the education sector um I personally know a couple of people that are really truly on the front line uh, one of them is currently working on a coronavirus dedicated coronavirus ward in South London um, and I'm hearing some pretty, pretty crazy stuff actually from that 
from that person and i just think it's really important that we just you know give a bit of a shout out to all of those people who are doing their bit like the prime minister (laughs) oh come on he can't get all the headlines all right it's not about him okay (laughs) i hate do you know what if 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 i hear that phrase one more or say read that phrase one more time i swear i'm gonna absolutely punch someone it's like sorry how how can public services not be political yeah it's gonna be the interesting thing going forward because all these like neighborhood covid19 mutual aid groups um i'm not on one at the moment um but uh i've heard some people say that like there's a few people trying to push like very reactionary politics in them but i'm just kind of it's going to be interesting because obviously at the other side of this like, you know, i don't know imagine you know there's some elections come up or things like that are people going to start shitposting left-wing things on there assume that oh great we've we've created a le- we've created a working class movement that defies all boundaries and we've got this we've got this amazing community power now this is all we needed um and actually we find out they're not as friendly as we thought i don't know okay so everyone yeah we've done about an hour there um discussing updating on what we've all been doing in quarantine which is as much as you can so i think it's something really important now is a fantastic time to get involved get involved in your trade unions get involved in politics and try to keep yourself sane basically um you can find us on spotify and all those other things that i've forgotten we have a twitter account whatever that means do we have a facebook thing I don't know, do we? Um, I'm not doing the best job at that. Someone else may want to jump in and improve on that and re-edit that. But you know where to find us. Keep listening to us. Share it about. Share it with people you know in education. Share it with anyone else who you think might be interested. Again, what else are they doing at the moment? We've been requires improvement. Uh, thanks for your time. <laughs> <laughs>